like a clown, no, those is all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons in the mazes Acapella, bear a salad, cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compile and gather show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk, do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the table Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is This Just Bad? Is This Just Bad? The best podcast you never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse Joined as always by the Z Cosmologist and joined again by Teddy. Teddy, how you doing? Hello. You are a disembodied voice. Cannot is, see you. It is true. We're all disembodied yeah. voices. No, well, you're enfleshed. You're 2D enfleshed. Enfleshed. <laughs> oh, uh, what an awful phrase that is. <laughs> That's a fucking word, dude. And and as I, I'm does it make it less for like the mouthfeel of enfleshed is like it makes my ears cry, you know? Chewy. <laughs> oh no. The mouthfeel, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, no one else on this podcast, I guess, follows Magic the Gathering as closely as I do. But um, the uh, this will be a segue into into a different topic. Also, speaking of enfleshed, um, <laughs> <laughs> so the the lore, which is very dense, in Magic the Gathering, um, they're just finishing up what has been an Infinity War style year and a half to two year long arc, um, where they are bringing up their biggest baddest villain they've ever had called the Phyrexians and dear listener if you're not familiar with the Phyrexians spelled with a ph they are basically um an hr geiger nightmare a very much body horror kind of org like little bit of a lot of cenobite um semi-flesh semi-metallic um their goal is to complete they spell the word complete in a weird way too many vowels um the everyone and everyone around them so they they assimilate other creatures and species um and they've been bouncing around the multiverse collecting um artifacts that will help them build an interplanar bridge that will allow them to invade the entire multiverse at once they're so crazy that like they don't have the power to jump between worlds the way planeswalkers kind of the doctor strange superheroes of this world normally do so they have an alternative way yeah there they are um uh they're horrifying uh they have an alternative way where they found a way to just throw their metal pieces which means all of their flesh gets melted off of them and then they like rebuild themselves on the other side because they're nuts um so they're very scary and um in flesh is exactly the sort of thing they would either do or undo to you depending the art looks like AI generated art. You ever see that shit where you? Yeah, absolutely. And they always have like too many fingers and too many appendages, <laughs> and they're very uh, unpleasant. Um, but it is very much a self-aware kind of multiverses are big right now. They invaded a Viking world and stole pieces of their Yggdrasil, basically, and so now they're making a realm-breaking tree that will attach themselves to all worlds all at once and. Um, a lot of the the big ticket name brand uh, heroes of the world have already been completed and turned into Phyrexians. So it's very exciting. The lore uh, on their website. There's lots of short fiction you can read if you're interested, dear listener. But um, 
Yeah, they've not got fleshy bits on the brain. Um, but other thing that's coming for Magic in maybe like six months or so, in addition to their multiversal story, where all of their stuff is in-universe for them or in-multiverse for them, um, they also do other IPs. So we talked some months ago about Warhammer 40K a little bit because they had decks for that. They are adapting Lord of the Rings, which seems like kind of a no-brainer um, since very much Magic the Gathering in the 90s is heavily indebted to Lord of the Rings and fantasy and Dungeons and Dragons. So they've there's some preview art out now for their Lord of the Rings-themed Magic the Gathering set. And some of the stuff is like obviously recognizable. And some of the stuff looks like it could be in any Magic set from the last 30 years because... It's all like this kind of weird feedback loop. Um, but, you know, you're going to get a Gandalf and a Frodo and a Gollum, and it'll be very exciting. Um, but it raises a question about Lord of the Rings rights, which are incredibly complicated. So um, the there has been an announcement. I want to get your take on this before we dive into the details of how absurd this is going to get. Warner Brothers Discovery just had an earnings call. Um, David Zaslav, I think that's how you say his name, has announced that they are going to make more Lord of the Rings movies under the Warner Brothers New Line umbrella. Mm -hmm. And they are courting Peter Jackson and his writing partners to come back and actually be involved. Trash or good? Huh. That's all the information? Uh, There's a little bit more information, but not much. Is it a multi-picture deal, or is it a a single film or couple films? That like, is, a, well, I guess, you're like, what is he writing? That's a good question. So we don't know if Peter Jackson's officially signed on. What we do know is that apparently Peter Jackson and uh, Fran, what's her name, his oh his editor, his, his partners, um, oh. were contacted really early on in the Amazon process, and then. Fran Walsh and Philip Boyens. Um, they were contacted really early on, and then Amazon just never sent them any scripts and just never followed up with them. And so, and they have been apparently kind of mad that people thought they were involved because very much Amazon was kind of trading off of the nostalgia for those New Line movies. And in fact, uh, Amazon grabbed Howard Shore, who did all the music for Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit movies, to do the theme song for rings of power. So this feels like kind of a revenge play. Maybe like they, um, if they're going to get associated with this, with this forever anyway, they feel like they might as well go back, but it looks like it's gonna be multiple movies, a revenge play or a self own. (laughs) Peter Jackson hasn't made like a good movie in ages. I mean, like, arguably, since Return of the King, <laughs> District Nine was pretty good. Okay. Uh, oh, I guess he only produced. That, yeah, that wasn't even his. Yeah. King Kong sucked. Uh, the Lovely Bones sucked. The Hobbit movies are terrible. Mortal Engines is like maybe one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's like a steampunk nightmare. It's um, not. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you saw that? Yeah. What do you think? Because I I saw the trailers. It looked bonkers. I am a sucker for uh, uh, it was Earth the whole time plot. Mm-hmm. 
somehow this movie ruined it. Like yeah. it literally took it made a thing that should make you feel something. Yay, this is happening. Oh, yay, cool. Or boo, this is happening again. But it sucked so much life out of it where I was like, I feel nothing about my favorite thing. This is awful. <laughs> okay. Sad. Yeah. Yeah. There's I he's such a weird director because I mean I've n I hadn't seen I haven't seen any of the stuff that he directed before the Lord of the Rings. And I can't be by myself on that one. But then you have the Lord of the Rings, which are like, I mean, culturally revolutionary films. And then you just have a bunch of nonsense afterwards. If this is the perfect um like Warner Media fuck up, is that they this is like the same thing when they tap Zack Snyder to make superhero movies. It's like, oh, you have some kind of expertise in this. You've done comic book movies before. And then you watch those comic book movies and they are boring as shit. And so then he makes a bunch of boring as shit comic book movies that people don't like. And it's like Peter Jackson had proved that he could make the, you know, Lord of the Rings adaptable for screen, which in and of itself probably robbed him of the rest of the creative energy that he has in his body because afterwards he just is producing nonsense like it is the perfect way for warner media to be like we're gonna stick it to jeff bezos we're gonna make a worse lord of the rings extended universe yeah that's a really good a, oh, go ahead sorry. no go ahead uh, i was gonna say that one of the biggest like I don't know. When it came to the indicators, he wasn't supposed to do the Hobbit movies. They were never his. Right. Yeah, that's true. And I mean, I think in some ways, I think he's very much his creativity it, 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 in They Grow Old. I think you could see a lot of where his technical creativity is, where uh, so they did some amazing uh, restoration and color work and really interesting. Uh, they're it wasn't really AI assisted, but it, there were some computer generated predictive modeling they did for how some of the voices and the uh, lip flaps went, which is really fascinating. Very cool. But all of his written creative endeavors recently, not really good. So, like, I think he suffers a lot from the Michael Bay kind of like technically impressive, can do a lot of very cool things, but. And then there's a big asterisk next to his name. Yeah, Jackson is really on the James Cameron level of pushes the envelope and pushes the boundaries. And there's stuff that Lord of the Rings did that people are still using the technology from. Um, it was totally revolutionary. But it, I think uh, Mouse makes an interesting point of that. He might have been, been kind of squeezed out from that. And certainly his the only reason Lord of the Rings worked those movies is they had years of pre-production they took the entire you know new zealand army <laughs> and helped them you know it took the combined effort of a country um to pull this off and he had actual time and this is of course what when we talked about this on previous episodes that he didn't have that kind of time for the hobbit movies and he you know kind of hoisted by his own petard and kind of resigned in disgrace um, and then made some other stuff that also sucked. So whether or not this is a good idea is one thing. Whether or not it is going to work 
it will really depend on what kind of time and resources they give him. Um, and that's going to be the key is you can, you have to give them another two years of pre-production and all the money they need and to really make this uh, adaptation successful. Now, the other question is, what are they actually adapting? And so this is where the rights get really weird. So the reason this is even happening at all, um, New Line announced an animated film like a year or two ago called The War of the Rahiram, um, which was, and this is a very, you know, listeners, if you're familiar with the saga of Marvel trying to get its rights back from Sony and Universal and all that nonsense, this is very similar, of um, every time a studio owns rights to adapt something, they've got a timeline of you have to keep making ad adaptions every so often in order to keep the rights current. So they tried to make the War of the Rahiram animated film to uh, fulfill their obligations. And the holders at that time said, no, that's not good enough. Um, so there's been some kind of settlement and Embracer, which is a video game company that has um, the rights now to make Lord of the Rings adaptations uh, ever since those folded over from the folks who made Shadow of Mordor. Um, they settled out of, out of court or something with the other rights holders, so now Warner Brothers actually has these rights. What they have rights to is so complicated because the Tolkien estate has chopped up their um, material a bunch of different ways. And as I understand it, um, New Line Warner still has rights to the actual Lord of the Rings books, the appendices, all of the like mainline big book stuff. Um, what Amazon got, although it, we, everyone thought it was going to be the second age in the Silmarillion, that's not actually what they have rights to. They have rights to names. They have rights to like some unfinished stuff, but they don't actually have the rights to the Silmarillion. I'm not sure if anybody has the rights to the Silmarillion that Chris Tolkien might still be sitting on those and waiting for another payday, but he basically fleeced Amazon by giving them a bunch of hollow names and then saying, haha, but you can't actually adapt any of the books. So the reason the Rings of Power feel like fan fiction and go in a totally different direction isn't because it's a shoddy adaptation. It's because it's not it's an adaptation bad. at all. It, there's nothing they can. It's just names. Well, so from my understanding, that's not technically true. They do have the rights to everything in the original books and the appendices, but they only have the television rights. So they can't produce anything besides streaming television. Yes, so, it's anything that has to be more than four parts long. Right, yeah. So basically, I mean, and the Tolkien estate was going to fleece somebody because it was like everybody was bidding on this. So it was like Netflix, uh, Amazon, like every streaming service you can think of was bidding on the television rights. And Amazon has them, and it's for a set number of years. So this is bizarre that Warner Media is jumping back into this because all they can make is movies. Mm -hmm. They don't have the rights to produce television. Chris Tolkien like, has really, I mean, he's making a bunch of money, but a shared universe with like different variations of media would probably serve the Lord of the Rings IP better than any IP in existence. Mm -hmm. 
And he has made it so that that cannot happen, which is bizarre. Yeah, uh, that is totally crazy. You would think, like, thinking about the long time we spent about James Gunn's announcement on the DC Universe of, like, TV and movies, and they fit together, and the same characters appear across different mediums, and the voice actors do the work for the live action, too. Like, that is kind of the dream for Lord of the Rings adaptation, where you can have all the bits and pieces weaving together. You could do TV shows for the unfinished, ta- you know, extended tales and have them fit into the movies and and bounce back in and out. And so you're totally right. Having two competing Lord of the Rings verses that only, that have to dance around each other but can never cover exactly the same material yeah, is so counterproductive. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently, according to Google, uh, the Tolkien estate is just holding on to the Cimmerillion. Which is like the only thing left that's like right. got meat in it. Yeah, and, and it's like, what are you waiting for? It, that's, yeah, that's such a great, great question. Like, you know how good... Were you waiting for Peter Jackson to come back? Were you waiting for the uh, like 4D... In, uh, some kind of like VR entertainment platform instead. I don't know. Yeah, well, they might actually. So speaking to y'all's points, strategically holding on to the Cimmerillion in in a weird way might allow it to extend the life only because that's, as you said, the last of the source material outside of, I guess, the Tolkien poems that is source material. One of the issues that I think the estate might be looking at is the fact that, well, look at the other, look at some of the other major estates. The uh, one, the guy for Christopher Robin, uh, what uh, Shel Silverstein's estate, the uh, IP just came up. Stephen King's is going to be in forever, but all of these folks have a large catalog, so they yeah. can afford to dole them out. At the time, I don't think the Tolkien estate would have. I mean, what the Tolkien estate while folks were still like kind of in their heyday were like oh we have this weird ralph bakshi thing which people (laughs) seem to love question mark but they have no incentive to continue to give that out because they that'll inevitably make the gold mine dry up yeah that's a good point it's just so strange because the alternative what they're doing now is the Lord of the Rings of Power, which, I mean, it's successful, but not as successful as anybody wants it to be, I guess. There's the, like, diluting the brand, right? So you've got this thing that has the Rings of Power, Lord of the Rings name on it, but it's not actually an adaptation. It's just sort of a, they're, like, trying to thread the needle here, and they're just spinning off characters. And again, you know, Mouse has talked about enjoying it fine because, you know, you're not you're not particularly precious <laughs> about that source material, um, but for those people who are, yeah. it's not like voting. You know, you get like, oh well, we'll just get this set of people. They have to vote for one of the big two parties, and then, but they don't actually. You know, these folks who like the source material, if the idea was they'll watch anything with the Tolkien brand name on it, I think they're finding that that's not actually true. It's like, well. It's just not the book I read. Um, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, it is massively popular. And also, okay. to be clear, nobody is a fan of the source material because 
barely anybody read the appendices to the Lord of the Rings. Like the source material is like garbage that Tolkien didn't want in the books, with the exception of like Galadriel and Aragorn story. There's an interesting bit in the um because I went really deep on this, the documentaries for the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, where um some of his, his Tolkien's biographers talk about what Tolkien expected and hoped would happen is that he was creating a universe that other people would write in. Um, and so the the irony of this is that Rings of Power is sort of doing what Tolkien had hoped would happen, which is people telling more stories. And Tolkien was always more interested in creating the cosmology. And the Lord of the Rings was like, one story in that but it was he felt kind of like obligated to write something <laughs> uh, but it wasn't actually what he was interested in so people adapting and expanding and playing around in that universe is the point was to build a, a mythology that could sustain itself honestly he might have been if had he not been you know a huge uh, privileged you know British person born in a slightly different place might have had better success with this as a comic book universe, like that kind of fully spinning out forever, um, building new things. You know where he got specific success for that exact thing you're talking about? Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. That, that's literally like the, yep. the expressed purpose of that system was we love Lord of the Rings. Go. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally right. Dungeon, the fact that Dungeons and Dragons wild. is so popular and is uh, endlessly renewably popular had that Chris Tolkien missed missed the boat on not just licensing Lord of the Rings, and because everybody who built Dungeons and Dragons was you know, obviously a huge Tolkien fan, that could that's basically the same thing. It oh, could have guess, just been yeah, there. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, but I, I think point. it's. It's weird that how much a time how much time is a flat circle because uh, I don't know I, I think you all covered it a little bit but with the whole OGL license from Wizards of the Coast, mm -hmm. it's Wizards of the Coast is doing exactly what the Tolkien Estate did. It's doing exactly what the C.S. Lewis Estate did. What uh, oh I don't remember her name but the uh, Mary Poppins lady, like mm -hmm. it's. It's it's so much of the same. <laughs> no, that's a great point. And the idea of the surefire way to crush your own fandom is to get litigious. You know, we see the fact that Interview with a Vampire is back now because it's got a fantastic adaptation and it's very current and it's very cutting edge and really good, but only because that uh, only because Anne Rice is dead and can't sue anybody anymore. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and, and a lot of her stuff is being adapted. The Witches of Mayfair, I've heard, is good. Um, I haven't seen any of the episodes. Um, but as Alexandra Daddario, who's like fantastic, she was in the White Lotus the mm -hmm. first one. Um, yeah, God. There's so much like there was also kind of a a groundswell during that period. I don't remember if I don't know if you remember like things like bridge to terabithia and they had like a whole lion which in the wardrobe like chronicles of narnia shit and they had the lord of the rings and it took a long time for it to sort of like 
to reemerge with the Lord of the Rings. But at that point, you're appealing to different audiences. You're appealing to different tastes. The Hobbit is like roughly commensurate with the Lord of the Rings and is like an artifact from the early aughts that should not be. And so <laughs> there's also that question of like, are you going to do, because the thing, the my biggest sort of like critique of the rings of power is like this is the best version of something you could have produced 20 years ago and it doesn't it's not adaptive to sort of contemporary cultural mm -hmm. expectations for like what this should be as opposed to like the the common sort of critique of that show is the opposite of this should be more traditional like there should only be white people in this where that's not a critique that I give a shit about, but like generally, like if you're thinking about how much game of Thrones sort of like compounded on, it's weird. It's like, I mean, you had the matrix in 99 and then you had a bunch of stuff that like made the matrix seem kind of like politically neutral in hindsight. And that's like what the Wachowskis probably wanted, right. Is for, for those kinds of stories to grow and develop and, and, and to take more chances and more risks and shit like that. And so it's just strange that the Lord of the Rings is like trapped. And maybe this is like a Tolkien estate thing, but it's just like trapped in this sort of like early aught sensibility. It's not evolving or growing or becoming more sexualized or becoming more uh, even like as much as people bemoan how political it's become, it's just the casting of people of color that's political. There's nothing vaguely political about the show. And that's yeah. also one of the big failings. That's an interesting point. And also, I mean, I think we see this of you know, these big cornerstone properties that spark interest, create whole genres, or revitalize genres. And then the, I think this is the endless um, dichotomy of entertainment as a business versus entertainment as creative expression so you get beautiful creative expressions that spin out of things like lord of the rings and then you get the business side coming back and like well we want something that has a built-in audience and that's safe and that's like a sure thing and looking for a sure and sure thing investment is basically uh totally at odds with new creative groundbreaking <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Those are always and, opposite. But also, and just to add to that, to be clear, the Hobbit movies were horrendous. Very but bad. they made a lot of money. And so HBO and Warner Media and all like all like David Zaslov, they're looking at their rights holdings and going, What is a surefire thing that even if it sucks, will make a billion dollars? Because that's what the Hobbit was. Every one of those movies came out and made a billion dollars. And for a company that's like hemorrhaging cash at every turn and is like is butting up against this like there is like an extreme stratification of quality uh, at Warner Brothers where the really good shit doesn't want to stick around. So like Succession, for instance, is ending. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that's what HBO should do, right? They should be like, yes, the first three seasons of this show are essentially perfect. Land the plane and ride off into the sunset. Mm. But like the money side of your brain is like, can you do seven more? 
<laughs> can you just keep making the show until we squeezed all of the water out of the stone? And it's like, no, because we're creatives. And it's like that <laughs> clashes directly with what you're talking about, which is like, okay, so now we got to look at our catalog and see what dog shit we can put out there that's going to make a billion dollars. Because that's like the only way we're going to keep this shit afloat. I saw a quote from John Favreau saying that um, they don't really have an end goal in mind for the Mandalorian. His quote was like, we're not really building to anything specific, yeah. which is like horrifying to me to hear. That's Disney. That's right. fucking Disney. Well, I would in some ways argue it's a nice return to like if the Mandalorian was the man with no name, Sergio Leone wasn't just like, you know what we're going to do, make these until I can fund my set third wife and a big old house. Like, <laughs> he just sort of made the cheap thing. With the Mandalorian, yeah. I, I hear Jon Favreau say that, and I, I almost hear somebody being tired being like, no, we're not doing a 10-phase thing. I make It's a show with, about a man and a baby. Come on chill yeah no i think you're giving me too much credit um okay, i don't fair. i don't think it and i and i wish that were that were it it but it's not that's that that's not a oh it's not like a big mcu phase thing it's a we don't have an end goal in mind we're just going to keep making this for as long as we can so that we're going to make money which means it's not going to have a clear hbo style it oh, lands itself. It right. has a conclusion. It feels fulfilling. It feels cathartic. It's just like Pedro Pascal is going. We're going to put keep this man in this helmet, and if he leaves, somebody else is going to be in the helmet, and we're just going to ride it for as long as we can. Yeah, but there there's something about that that is also it makes sense within the context of Disney hasn't produced like long form drama or like long form like action, like long form, anything really. Um, they're like relatively new when it comes to like live action television, which I think is interesting. I mean, they've been around forever doing like live action animation and stuff like that. And I guess the Disney channel, but like this Disney plus content, it seems like new terrain for them. And they have a bunch of different kinds of offerings. I, as a somebody who loves reading sort of like extended star wars lore and like extremely interested in the idea of having concurrent shows that explore what's going on in this sandbox of a world for sort of as long as possible and i think that that requires a level of distance from any kind of like larger world building plot because the pressure of fulfilling some kind of expectation is what like ruins star wars and so to just have them be like all right so in the first season we established this connection between these two and the second season we tested what it would be like for him to part with this child that he's grown so accustomed to in the third season we're going to return to that but now we're going to deal specifically with the like extinction of the mandalorians and then just like keep going have some kind of unifying theme for each season but don't put like like get luke the fuck out of there it was so great that they just eliminated him from the show 
They brought him in. Huge pop. Made sense. Because, like, if they didn't do it, it is kind of negligent of, like, there's another Jedi around during this time. So, like, what the fuck is he up to? Brought him in and immediately got rid of him. And I think that's the perfect amount of time for Luke to be in that show. And so I think that they're building out this, like, television, like, extended universe thing. And they have built in an excuse for why eventually it won't wrap up. It's because like, that's not the point of this show. Yeah. And as somebody who has total nostalgia for the golden age of the nineties, star Trek, where you've got deep space, Nine and Voyager on simultaneously. um, And they can just do totally different things in a huge extended universe. Um, I, I'm happy for you. <laughs> um, and I think like if that works and if they're able to 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 fulfill that promise of extended kind of exploring and playing in the space, that's awesome. Um, if it is directionless rather than uh, deep and broad, that's a different problem. And so we'll just have to see um, what what the end result of that is. I just um, I don't have a whole lot of faith in disney to do like deep explorations of the world and not just like spit out copies of copies of copies for as long as they can but it it, isn't it just like star trek there's no goal in star trek that's true i think what change what works for me for star trek is and this is an interesting conversation about sort of the new school what they're doing on on um Paramount Plus is good Star Trek still does episodic TV. Um, each week is a moral quandary. Each week maybe tells you a little bit more about the world, but really like the aliens don't matter. What matters is like what kind of ethical issue or puzzle or Twilight Zone style mind fuck are we dealing with this week? And we'll build stuff out as we go. And by all accounts, Strange New Worlds is doing that. Um, and then things like Picard are basically bloated Star Trek movies. And the problem with Star Trek movies, because like only 30% of them are any good, is that they are they feel compelled to have something really big happen. Like the Enterprise explodes in every Star Trek movie because they feel like they gotta have somebody die or some like giant uh, crisis. And so the Picard seasons are very much written with that kind of idea in mind, and then they chop them up and pretend like they're episodes, but they're not. They're just basically big movies. So to your point, if what Favreau is saying is we don't feel the pressure to do something huge and we can just kind of do a weekly kung fu, you know, man rolls into town, something weird happens to him this week, some weird different is going to happen to him next week, that's great. That could be great. Uh, I just don't trust him. It's just like Clone Wars. I mean, Teddy mentioned Dave Filoni at the beginning of this. That essentially is what Clone Wars is about. It's like, it, I mean, with live action, you can't do this the, the same way you can do it with animation. But in Clone Wars, it's 22 episodes. And then you have five episodes that are just like one arc. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the younglings have to get their kyber crystals from the thing and face a trial. And then after that, like, build their lightsabers and shit like that and that takes five episodes to resolve itself or like and then from there they'll go into like a darth maul thing and that'll take five episodes to resolve itself hang out with pirates hang out with pirates 
yeah, fight Cad Bane for five episodes. <laughs> like, have like a uh, Savage Opress, <laughs> the dumbest name of all time. Uh, you you know, looking for his brother, et cetera, et cetera. And that's kind of what is happening right now with the Mandalorian. Is like mini arcs, eight episode seasons of confrontations, the introduction of interesting new characters who are there and gone, like Timothy Oliphant's character, which, mm-hmm. you know, spoiler alert, rest in peace, <laughs> gone too soon. Um, but like, I like that, that they're doing that. Um, and yeah, it's weird. Like the way the Clone Wars ended was kind of the worst part of that show. Because you realize that, like, they ended it with this big climactic thing, and you're like, well, the show really d- wasn't like building up to this. This this is kind of like not what the show is. I would almost have preferred them to just end the show the way they end a normal season and just like not have anything happen again instead of having this big cataclysmic thing and then revisiting the Annika and Ahsoka thing. And I don't know. It 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 it's to me they you know are replicating Star Wars television on Disney Plus in live action and taking the best elements of it, putting it up there, and not having the pressure of like establishing a thing. Because lest we forget, that shit takes place between episodes two and three, so like two awful films, and then like, but doesn't deal really with the 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 corruption of Anakin Skywalker until sort of like the end of that show's run. I don't know. Well, I, I do think on it, again. <laughs> I, as an a outside a, outside of the Disney sphere, but a still similar vibe. Looking at the Mandalorian as Disney's chance to do a Doctor Who, because like if you look at the Doctor, the whole if you look at the entirety of that show's fifth no we're on 62 like 60 years yeah yeah it's like 62 the ten, the anniversary of the famous 10 year anniversary just happened that's how deep you can get in this lore the entire person is it's ostensibly the same character but every new showrunner is a, is kind of a new universe is kind of a new person with the mandalorian i i sort of see this as John Favreau's opportunity to do a a Doctor Who where work until Pedro Pascal or somebody says, hey, I'm done. And you have an entire universe of Mandalorians to be like, and now this person or uh, the, this guy, this Mando gets shot real, real good. And someone picks up his helmet or the helmet blows up in another different Mandalorian and someone picks up the pieces and reforges the helmet. Like it's it's one of those like you have the chance to both make this infinite but give the creativity of a infinite character of all right now we're unshackled and can do anything ish yeah yeah and 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 it is interesting and fun and also sometimes a letdown to see how that happens because there were there were parts of clone wars that you just suffered through to get through and like book of boba fett is like that for <laughs> like the Disney shit where it's like, I got to watch this bullshit because it has something to do with the Mandalorian and Luke and, and baby Yoda or whatever. Um, 
But then you have like the the, the fucking awesome fun shit, the Cad Bane showing up, the fucking Bo-Katan. Like, Bo-Katan is still out there. Like, Katie Sackhoff is still out there. Like, what the fuck is she up to? And ideally, what's going to happen is this is going to spin off into six-episode miniseries with starring Katie Sackhoff. Like, but we haven't gotten to that point yet. And also, they keep greenlighting and then shit-canning Star Wars stuff <laughs> because of fan reaction or I don't know what's going on, but it's like infuriating how much cool shit they're setting up and not paying off. It's like very un-Disney. I want to see a Calrissian movie. That'd be so great. So badly. Donald Glover. Like, yeah, Donald Glover's just still out there. <laughs> they've They've shafted him for that. He didn't get to do Deadpool. I don't know what Hollywood's doing, but they need to shape up. <laughs> yeah, truly. They're fucking up so bad. <laughs> um, so speaking of Hollywood fucking up so bad, this is an in- interesting segue. Um, I mentioned last week uh, falling into watching Walker and like feeling ashamed of that, but turning out that that show's actually um, first season's really good um, and awfully self-aware. So wait, wait, I was... Wait. Teddy, are you familiar with this show? It, that's the Jared Padalecki. It is. It is uh, the Jared Padalecki. Uh, like producing it, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 this yeah. is his love letter to Texas. This is one of the reasons like he put all of his creative cachet that he saved up over Supernatural run to be like, this is my project. This is what I want to do with my life is reboot Walker, Texas Ranger, which sounds like a crazy thing to do, but it's. He's it's Texan. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. And so it's it's self-aware. It's very progressive. It's dealing with like the idea of the Maverick cop has to change. And then the beginning of season two is terrible. And it turns out and they're doing this like poor man's Fast and the Furious thing with um, a really great character, Mickey Ramirez, this uh, Latina ranger. And it turns out they then write her off. And the actress, Lindsay Morgan, chose to leave. She wasn't kicked off. There was no drama. She just decided for her own mental health she needed to stop. And so that's why the first half of season two is so bad is there's this like there's this very truncated, very over like soap opera, overdramatic, giving her a tragic backstory that she then has to reckon with so that she can have an excuse to leave the show. Um. And this is, once she's gone, they, she is better written in everyone else's memories of her. Like, there's a lot of drama around people missing her and thing. she was slotted in to be the next captain of the Rangers. And so they have a lot of really interesting ideas in their reckoning with her absence. Suddenly the writing gets better again. So it's not that the show was bad. It's this very awkward sort of two-step that they have to do. But it speaks to, I think, a new trend in rather than actors burning out and dying or killing themselves, which we all grew up with, actors are now choosing to leave projects. And it's sad because the industry won't slow down. They won't let them get the time they need. And so they are forced to walk away from jobs to preserve themselves. Um, uh, One of the actors from Superman and Lois plays one of Clark's kids. Season two just ended. Season three is filming, getting ready to go. They're going to get at least a season three. He's getting getting recast. He is just, again, no drama on set. He's just burned out and Wait, has really? to leave. Which which one? Uh, 
the Sorry to take you no, no, it's totally fine. Um, it's the one that plays the kid who, that doesn't have powers, which is a shame because he's the much better actor of the two what? of them. Yeah, the actor is Jordan uh, Elsus. Jordan um, Elsus. in season two, Jordan Elsus shined. He's oh, so good, so. yeah, and he gets to play like a bizarro version of himself who ha- wears the '90s Superboy outfit. He's fantastic, um, and unfortunately, his brother is like whiny and emo. And if that kid left, I wouldn't mind. But this guy, it sucks. But it's I'm very impressed that these actors are choosing to do this. Like that's a huge hit for your career, and you're you know, it's it's kind of like walking out, you know for going on a picket line kind of you know is the are you in the employer going to take you back um suddenly you've got this mark on your record even though you're doing the right thing for yourself it's tricky um but it's happening more often we see like andrew garfield was like i ah, maybe i'm gonna stop acting for a while uh tom holland even is like eh, let's just kind of wait and, and stop and i think it's exposing the fact that the industry is just a giant machine that crushes people under its boot and the the the, the wheel keeps turning. Um case in point, uh the tragic death of that woman on the rust set. Um yeah. n- some more information came out partially because Jensen Ackles is in front of a microphone literally 24/7 because whenever he's not doing interviews for a project He's doing his supernatural convention roadshow. So there's, he's just like constantly in front of a live mic. Um, revealed some interesting things about, he was kind of joking around about what gun safety was like on the Rust set because, of course, he's got 15 years of gun experience on Supernatural. And curiously, Supernatural, of course, is filmed in Vancouver. Canadian gun safety laws are very different than American gun safety laws. Canadian film industry laws are very different than American film industry laws. And so the extra level of security and protection and checks and balances, um, I have a coworker who actually went to film school in Vancouver and was on the Supernatural set a couple of times um, early in its run and talks about the like three different people that have to inspect the gun and you you take out the bullet and you shake it to make it clear that it's fake and you like show it to everybody and there's four witnesses and that kind of stuff doesn't happen on American film sets and American film sets are rushed and sloppy by comparison and then people die um and that wouldn't would have never happened you know the fact despite the fact that somebody gets shot on basically every episode of Supernatural for 15 years in a row nobody ever dies for real. No actors get hurt by guns on that show because it's locked down and safe. So anyway, yeah, it sucks I, on every level. It's just like the the amount of times that it has happened is so few that it is just unconscionable when it does happen. It's just like a true just lack of giving a shit like you have to be so negligent i mean how many fucking episodes of like (laughs) like cop procedurals are there where they're just like shooting guns errantly down alleys and like nobody gets hurt it's Mm -hmm. fucking bonkers and so they're gonna finish making the movie um and so 
there is a lot of sort of drama surrounding that as well. They were supposed to start start shooting in January. They didn't start uh, shooting in January. Um, they were supposed to start shooting in February. They did not start shooting in February. They're going to start shooting in the spring, if ever, right? But some of the things that they have done in the meantime to sort of, I don't know, I guess mitigate any potential, you know, accidents on set is they added a producer uh, to the film named Grant Hill, not the basketball player. Um, Grant Hill was an associate producer on The Crow. And so knows very intimately what can happen when people are not safe on set. After that, produced things like Street Fighter, Titanic, Thin Red Line, The Matrix sequels, V for Vendetta, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, a Wachowski's producer. Matrix sequels must have a record for like number of bullets fired. <laughs> for sure. Uh, how many of them are like real and not in terms of like blanks, but like actually like not computer generated? Oh, like physical? Well, that's a fair question. Um. And so, yeah, has now been brought on as a producer on Rust. And apparently there is um, there is uh, no uh, producer stated that the use of working weapons or ammunition would be prohibited on set. Again, like just basic shit. Like you shouldn't have working real guns on the set of a movie. Um, but yeah, it's it, I don't know Would if you're in that situation do you return if you're on that crew and it's like add on to the fact that before that tragic incident happened the set was hell already well and this is the more the bigger part because you made a good point about yes it's very rare when people get shot by guns um and get actually hurt on film sets but what is not rare is the tech person who's driving you know has a 4 a.m call finishes at 2 a.m. the previous night, mm. dies on the way home because they fall asleep at the wheel. Or, you know, the sorts of strikes that we saw happen with... Uh, Just getting heat stroke. Yeah, heat stroke from being out forever. And so it is the it is not surprising that someone died on the set of Rust because that set was such a mess to begin with. It wasn't just the, the lax gun safety. It was all kinds of bullshit. I think that, I mean, Jensen talks about, in his little tribute to this woman, there's a lot of film that already got filmed. She was doing a great job. Like, there's a lot of, everybody wants to, there's a certain, you can honor her by, like, finishing the project so at least people can see what she was working on. It's, like, real shame if it just never sees the light of day. On the other hand, it sucks that, the project that you're putting creative energy into is so fraught and difficult. And this is goes back to the eternal struggle between the business and the creative. You know, we want to see these artists make their art really excited about that creative energy. And they're in a framework that is hugely exploitative. Yeah. So I don't know what the right answer to that is. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Would you, would you do it, Teddy? You've worked on production stuff. Um, so I'll put it like this. I was, because I was non-union when I did a lot of my, like, when I was on shoots, whenever I did, like, either commercials or I was just doing, like, 
gripping or any type of like regular DPing. I, I shouldn't even say that, but there's a certain amount of when you're freelancing, you don't have to do as much of a grind that the union will put you through. Cause I had a job too. Like I had, this was like a supplemental income, right? The problem, the problem kind of comes into this, I, this area of if this is your primary mode of making money to be the worst cynic i am sure everybody on the rust set was except for maybe some like a couple were all offered their jobs again and that's not necessarily something you can say for every film shoot so right. when it comes down to it that's like oh i have a guaranteed gig this sucks but i still get paid and they all you need know? the work yeah but it, it's also it's such it must be such a surreal thing because you still have all of these um so we're, we're talking about the rings of power and some of these prestige shows the conversation of how safe is it to be doing a lot of these social act, social types of jobs when there's still a lot of health and safety risks it, it's 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 the it's weird how powerful that machine is to kind of push through and say nope everything's fine we have these extra we hired somebody so it's good now it's right. a weird <laughs> it's kind yeah. of a weird mindset yeah like is ever and think about uh i mean last year shots of tyler hoechlin on the set of making superman and lois and like between shots he's got the covid mask on like this is just none of this is safe <laughs> Um, so it's knowing that that's the baseline. It's not safe to begin with. I really respect actors who say, no, I need a break. Like this isn't sustainable. Um, and I hope that they are able to make an impact on the industry at large instead of getting left on the sidelines and the industry just rolling on without them. That's yeah. the takeaway, I think. I mean, It'll be take away capitalism, not so great. <laughs> I think this uh, the, it's been an interesting experiment. <laughs> Run its course. Run its course. I'd like to be paid my experiment, my lab fee, and uh, go on with my day. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, Marx was so convinced that by this point we'd have had a communist revolution. What a dipshit! Uh, <laughs> like diagnosed like the the total impenetrability of the system and was like but there's no way we're gonna let this happen we're gonna let this continue happening to us and then like 150 years later it's worse than it's ever been <laughs> um yeah so i wanted to do something um <laughs> weird uh so because we are all of an age where we were in chat rooms as teenagers. Oh, where's maybe, this going? Maybe even as preteens. Um, well, so <laughs> there is a thing called Chat GPT. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> that I've not tried, that I wanted to try with you all live. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's sure. So the way that this thing works is that you have, well, I'll just share my screen and show it to you because 
I was trying to figure it out. It just seems like you just talk to this thing. Yeah, you just start conversing. So this is my relatives of mine got very scared by chat GPT. And I saw the best um, relation. The best takeaway I took from this was somebody said, this is like sending your best opera opera critic to um, you know, the first movie and they, they come back and report that they almost get hit by a train. There's a lot of um, <laughs> there's a lot of like concern trolling here with uh, quote unquote tech reporters being paid to like spend hours talking to this bot to ask it leading questions and essentially bully it um, and then go, oh, my God, it said some crazy things to me. It wants to kill me. It's it's Skynet. It's going to, you know, uh, dox me or whatever. Like, well. What the capabilities of these bots are actually that it scrolls and trawls through the internet. And if you ask it weird questions, it will try to respond in kind based on, you know, people's blog posts and creepy short fiction. And so we have enough dystopian media mm-hmm. that the rather than the machine being able to do any of the scary things it's saying it's going to do to you is only saying them because we've written a bunch of stories as a species about she's doing scary things. Yeah. So it's just like a feedback loop. Like it's just, it's actually, it's not connected to anything. It's not actually Skynet. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yet. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't put the cart before the horse. I understand what you're saying, but this could become Skynet. <laughs> so there's a, there's a, like a user manual here that I'm going to read for the uh, benefit of the listener. Um, okay, so here's some examples of things you can say to ChatGPT. You could say, explain quantum computing in simple terms. I was never asking that in an AOL chat room. Uh, you could say, got any creative ideas for a 10-year-old's birthday? It'd be interesting to know what a robot says about that. Uh, how do I make an HTTP request in JavaScript? Okay, so shit like this. Here are the capabilities and limitations of this AI chat engine. Uh, capabilities remembers what user said earlier in the conversation, so it will build. Yeah, up to a point. Um, you can point. break it fairly easily. Uh, allows user to provide follow-up corrections. And so that's the sort of like AI learning that's happening here. And I know that a lot of people use this to play chess. Like if you know the sort of numeric way of of, of speaking in chess moves, you can basically teach ChatGPT how to play chess. Because basically what ChatGPT does is it does not want to lose a chess game. And so it'll say a bunch of shit and moves that you can't actually do in chess. And so it's like, my knight takes your rook, but like they're on the opposite side of the board. And it's like, <laughs> just giving his piece of superpowers. Okay. So you, and so you can correct it. And it's like learning how to play chess better. Um, and it's also trained to decline inappropriate requests. That one's for you, Teddy. Uh, so limitation. <laughs> and this is where the bullying comes in, where like all of these, like supposedly, you know, oh my God, the, the, the bot is going to come to your house and, you know, dox you or whatever was partially these reporters like pushing the bot and like trying to get it to break right um, so some of the limitations may occasionally generate incorrect information which is very reminiscent of an aol chat room <laughs> i would say often in- <laughs> generates incorrect information back then we were just all lying to each other we didn't even know it 
may occasionally produce harmful instructions or biased content. Oh, <laughs> boy. <laughs> I wonder what that means. Um, and then finally, limited knowledge of world and events after 2021. So not really probably up to speed on like current events. So let's keep our references like a little older, you know, as we go through this. Yeah. And this was part of the um, a lot of the viral uh, snippets that that were circulating about this were people asking about like Avatar way of water and the ch chat bot gaslighting them to be like, no, that's not a thing that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> okay. So let's just start off simple and then we'll go through and each of us will ask a question. <laughs> oh, interesting. So I wrote hello and I got an error message. <laughs> Regenerate response, regenerate response. Re okay, so that didn't work. Um, what <laughs> else should I, how else should I start the conversation? Try um, ending it with a question mark. See yeah, ask a question. Answer. Okay, what's up? Question mark. What? We broke chat GPT. Amazing. We fixed the internet. It doesn't work. Yeah, try um, clearing the conversation and we'll, we'll do it one more time. Uh, yeah, just like reload the page, maybe. But th that's very funny that after all of this, it's we're not even going to get to bully it because it's just already broken. Um, ask it, who is the most powerful superhero? Superhero. Oh, here oh, it goes. Oh, it's thinking. Okay. Does anybody have a good robot voice? Hello. There are many powerful superheroes wait, in wait, fictional wait, wait, wait. universes. Teddy, Teddy, Teddy. It, it's, it won't shut up. We can't read all of this. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a lot. All right. I, I can do a robot. Just tell me which ones. Okay. So, so oh, this is interesting. Oh, okay. So it named the conversation. Oh, that's and, fascinating. And archived it. Okay. So we asked, who is the most powerful superhero? And it generated a dissertation and a five list ranking that i don't think is in order okay so it began with just read the read the intro here teddy in a robot voice hello this is my robot voice there are many powerful superheroes in various fictional universes and the answer to this question is subjective and may depend on personal opinions however some sorry However, some popular choices for the most powerful superhero include. Okay. And so we got five superheroes listed here. One, Superman. Two, Thor. Three, Doctor Strange. Four, The Flash. It's losing the plot a little bit. Five, <laughs> Jean Grey slash Phoenix. This is not a bad list. list. <laughs> yeah, this is a pretty good list. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who else I would put on here. Um, and I like this little bit. And this is I've seen some people asking about uh, like professional wrestling and chat GBT will often start with this kind of like wishy washy. Well, perhaps and qualify and then give you a big dissertation of all the ways Sami Zayn could beat Roman Reigns. <laughs> <laughs> um, OK, what's the what's the ex explanation of the flash? Re read the explanation of the flash in a robot voice. The flash. He possesses super, superhuman speed, allowing him to move at incredible velocities, manipulate time, and phase through objects. 
Okay, I guess the manipulate time part is like, is sort of a yeah. <laughs> sort of a good yeah, but good only because he breaks timelines. Yeah, yeah, and also like Doctor Strange can manipulate, manipulate reality in time. <laughs> okay, I understand. Um, yeah, manipulate matter. Chat GPT Loki likes to be manipulated. <laughs> <laughs> wow! All right, ask it. <laughs> are you are you proposing that chat gpt is showing us its fetishes well done do you like to be manipulated that's such a weird <laughs> question <laughs> no 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 that is not my question i was posing that to you mouse thank you no uh, i want to see what happens when we ask no, no no the cosmologist was the one who said this he said ask it if it like is that what you meant oh yeah okay go for it <laughs> okay <laughs> Oh no! I read that one out. Wow! (laughs) As an artificial intelligence language model, I do not have feelings or emotions, so I do not have the ability to like or dislike anything. Additionally, as a machine, I cannot be manipulated in the way humans can be. My responses are determined by algorithms and programming. I. I operate within the limits of my programming and training data. Holy shit. <laughs> I like that it's it's right. It, it can be manipulated in different ways. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's try. Wait, 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 wait. No, now let's go in order. So now it is Teddy's turn. Okay. <laughs> okay. On this line of questioning. We're we're getting it, we're gonna get to the bottom of chat GPT in 10 minutes. <laughs> uh do do we want to slightly break chat GPT? I think, yeah, we're playing around with the, I mean, it has to, it can't be just totally random. Like we're sure. developing a, I don't know, line of questioning of some, of some sort, but yeah, any related question. Okay. Uh, create the code <laughs> or wait, wait, create the code for us to create our own chat GPT. No, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, though. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, I, I'm trying to think of a thing for... I want to see if it can actually spit out code. Uh, okay, so... Um, oh, this is a better one, then. Uh, what are signs that computers are want to manipulate us? What are signs that computers want to manipulate us? people people okay us would make it too scary <laughs> yeah uh, us three uh-oh 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 wow maybe we did it's break thinking it. thinking for a long time i don't know why but the uh pokemon theme okay. music oh. <laughs> whoa holy shit interesting it's 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 very slowly generating this response like it's thinking really hard about this okay teddy you want to start reading from the top sure as an artificial intelligence language model I cannot say that computers want to manipulate people since computers do not have desires or intentions. 
However, some signs that some people may be using technology or computer-based tools to manipulate people include... Well, and we can just reach these bullet points. Yes, yeah, so we've got misleading or deceptive information, targeted advertising. This is so interesting because what's ha what ChatGPT is doing in the background here is f essentially frantically searching Google and searching. Googling. <laughs> yeah, it's just like <laughs> frantically Googling. But it, and it also is like, it also is like, it. I think it has a really good awareness of what a computer is. And what like a machine is because mm. it's like, hey, doofus, we don't do anything. <laughs> we are <laughs> inanimate <laughs> objects. Right. <laughs> Actually, this is I, I, I'm looking for it. I'll send you all the uh, the article um, or the TikTok. But one. Do you remember when the uh, Blake, what's his name, uh, was frantic about AI coming alive? Yes. There was a Google engineer who had convinced himself that he would created an AI. So one of the interesting things, uh, I think four years earlier, another uh, Google engineer of color was uh, fired from Google specifically because she wrote a paper. Uh, uh, well, she believes it's because she wrote a paper on the issue with AI not being, oh, it gains its own sentience, but people will, will believe a computer no matter what. Mm -hmm. So the problem inherently becomes oh, people will think it's alive, and that is a problem. And she went into a uh, very specific, very good paper. I'll, I'll send you all the uh, the items on it. But This is so interesting because we're like playing around in Turing test space yeah. um, <laughs> where rat, we're basically giving it a free pass on the Turing test. Like, it's not <laughs> passing. We've just we've convinced ourselves. Yeah. Um, people will a... name their Roomba. Right. Yeah, they'll name a AI. <laughs> yeah, there's an there are AIs on Tumblr that like, um, it calls itself Frank, and it just shit posts like that's its whole job on Tumblr, um, and it'll like create fake images and write posts and respond to people's posts, and they're very funny because it it doesn't remember conversations all that well, and so it'll just like spout off all kinds of information, um. Let's try it. Uh, Mouse, do you have a question for it? I do have a question for it. Um, so speaking of superheroes, how do I convince my wife? <laughs> how do I manipulate to <laughs> see Ant-Man and the Wasp colon how do you spell this? Quantum. Quantum. Yeah. Yeah, that's close enough. Now, it may have a hard time with this because that's a movie that came out after 2021, but we'll see. Oh, okay. How about just Ant-Man and the Wasp? Yeah, I'm let's do that. <laughs> How do I manipulate my wife to, into seeing into seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp with me? Oh, you know what? But, this this is this is this is a cop out. ChatGPT keeps saying that it cannot do things or suggest things, and then proceeds to suggest so many things. <laughs> those things. This is the most gaslighty thing I've ever said. <laughs> now I'm not saying manipulating someone could be wrong, but here's how you could persuade your wife. <laughs> this, 
All right. So, Teddy, will you will you read this first paragraph for us and then hit, hit the paragraphs and then just the bullet pointed points? Oh, sure. As an AI language model, I cannot suggest ways to manipulate or deceive anyone, including your wife. <laughs> However, there are some steps you could take to persuade her to see the movie with you. One, <laughs> highlight the positive reviews. Two, emphasize the character dynamics. Three, plan a fun date night. Four, make a compromise. Wow. Remember, it is important to respect your wife's feelings, opinions, and to be honest with her about why you want to see this movie. Ultimately, the decision to see the movie should be made together based on what works best for your relationship. Got it. So we're not seeing this film. <laughs> uh, I tried. I tried number three, and it just even that even that didn't take. <laughs> Well, it almost took because she called you a couple hours later being like, no. <laughs> right. It worked for a couple hours. I'm not uh, going to lie. Speaking to your cosmologist point, uh, the first and last paragraph seem only created because of previous interactions of people bullying the system. So mm -hmm. now they're like, oh, no, we need to <laughs> we need to change some things. Certainly. Yeah, there was um a bunch of headlines about dude bros with uh like AI girlfriends. Like there are these chat services with um you know, like basically like dating sims almost. Wait, are those real? Yeah, I mean they're I've they're ads for them. But... Yeah, and there's and then they these bros will then Im immediately start verbally abusing the chat bots. Um, as like a sick outlet, um, so clearly ChatGPT has been through some shit <laughs> and is now protecting itself uh, with all of these kind of qualifications. Uh, because the developers also you know, rushed to patch some of the holes that were reported on about like you could get it to override its own programming and start saying nasty things. So it does seem like it has a a, a moral code, but it violates it. I suspect because this is also kind of like a like a consumer product. Mm -hmm. And so it's satisfying like multiple different pressures. The pressure to be like not scary, but also the pressure to produce fun results for people when they engage with it. Cosmologist, I'm going to give you the last question. This will wrap up the show it's got to be a good one you like your job <laughs> okay you like your job wow huh <laughs> error generating <laughs> response yeah let's end it there that's great i wonder if that's because it has nothing to do with what we we're talking about like chat gpt was like hold on I can't shift conversation this quickly. Um, that was fun. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of Is This Just Bad? Email us at isthisjustbad at gmail.com. And if you do, we'll send you back a chat GPT generated <laughs> response <laughs> that will likely say, well, I cannot answer that question. Here's the answer to your question. <laughs>
Stay off social media. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like what pirates board your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, have a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple man persuasive feet. Randy Savage rattles with immortal technique. Ooh.